2: ESPN Audio and SC Featured presents a 16-episode podcast, Pin Kings. It's the story of two all-American high school wrestlers, teammates, and friends who ultimately ended up on the opposite sides of the war on drugs. Pin Kings is for mature audiences. Welcome to
0: Episode 4, The Wild
2: Card.
3: I had a great childhood, I remember.
0: This is Louis DeCubis, Jr., Alex DeCubis' older brother.
3: My dad was a great father, very supportive. My dad instilled great values in in my brother and me. He always told me, he said, don't let anybody ever beat you up. Always get the last swing.
0: But Luis DeCubis Sr. also knew where to draw the
3: line. I remember I went to a store, I was very young, and it was called Jefferson's in Miami. And we were in the sporting section. I was a very young kid. I shoplifted, uh, it was something to do with fishing. And I got out to the car my dad had found out. So he, what he did was, he took me back to the store, I had to give it back, ask for the store manager. And then he had, one of his friends was a, a police sergeant in the metro Day Police Department. And he actually took me to the jail another day to ch- to sh- and tell the sergeant what had happened and to scare me. And that really taught me, hey, don't ever do anything illegal.
4: Kevin and Alex were best friends, champion wrestling buddies. The heydays of Miami. Alex Tecubis was
3: clearly a kingpin.
5: It's a a tragic story.
3: The less you know, the more you leave.
5: I wanted to take out the biggest drug dealers.
3: If they ever catch him, he's
5: going away for the rest of his life. If they don't kill him when they try to capture him. Could you imagine if Kevin has to shoot Alex? He's a sworn federal agent for a drug enforcement agency.
2: Evil goes to jail, or evil ends up dead.
0: Welcome to the SE featured podcast, Pin Kings. We're going to call this episode the Wild Card. My name is Brett Forrest. I'm a senior writer at
6: ESPN The Magazine, and I'm John Fish, a television producer for ESPN Sports Center. This is a story about appearances. What we show to the world. And then what really goes on behind closed doors. In our last episode, we discussed Kevin Pedersen. He's a quiet kid, dedicated, disciplined, a straight arrow. But at home, he's dealing with the ticking time bomb of his alcoholic father.
0: And now we come to the other half of our story, Alex DeCubis. This was a kid in high school who had it all. But there was a terrible secret waiting to destroy his life. The best place to start with Alex is his father.
6: Everyone, absolutely everyone we interviewed who knew Alex DeCubis growing up in Miami has very strong memories of Alex's father, Louis DeCubis. Even more than 40 years later, what people remember most about Louis is what he wore. He was a stylish guy very very stylish and he wore it with style too
0: yeah yeah he really he really stood out
6: here are several people with their images of him
0: He was always dressed at the nines
3: he never wore the same suit twice he had hundreds of ties uh, hundreds literally hundreds of suits and shoes always dressed you know 10 plus he would get his hair done every day he used to come
1: to wrestling matches in a white suit and he had the gray hair, shocking gray hair, and a mustache, and uh, with a walking stick. Very cool guy.
0: Very cool guy. Yeah, Luis de Cubis was a native Cuban. And I think he got his style, I think it came out of Havana. The 40s, the 50s, that era, uh, pre yeah, you've seen the history stuff on TV
6: where Havana is like Las Vegas in the Caribbean. Havana
0: was happening. Yeah, pre-Fidel Castro, you know, that era of casinos and nightclubs, uh, the mafia, the beach, the music.
6: Showgirls, the feather boa. The yeah, feather, all that stuff together. Yeah, the
0: whole, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think Luis de Cubas uh, flourished in that in that time period and, and he was a fashion journalist in Havana, believe it or not. He was, he was a writer and an, and an editor, uh, and this was this was all before Fidel Castro took over. And then it all changed, Brett. As we all know, Castro
6: overthrew the Batista government in 1959, and when Castro declared a communist state and started nationalizing private businesses, the days were numbered for stylish, successful guys like Luis de Cubas.
0: Luis de Cubas joined. The wave of immigrants who were fleeing Castro and the Castro regime and heading to South Florida to build a new life. Uh, So Alex, who was only two years old, and his older brother, Luis Jr., who was 11 months older, who was three at the time, they joined their parents for the trip to Miami. And they left everything behind. Everything. Here's Luis
3: Jr. I remember that we had to leave. We left uh, with the first uh, flights out. My dad and my mom and my brother and myself, because of Castro his dictatorship. You know, they saw the communism, how he was, he, he changed all the restrictions he put on the citizens. So they had to leave and not bring anything back. So they, they left everything behind. You had to leave your jewelry, money, everything. And you can only bring $5 into the US. That was it. Couldn't bring anything. Nothing.
6: Suddenly, South Florida was absorbing this influx of new people. This was South Florida's Ellis Island moment in many ways. You know, not what you think of now. It was very similar, where they couldn't bring anything. They're processed, and they say, Welcome to America. Here's your opportunity. And everybody had to get adjusted to one another. This was this first wave of influx to South Florida in so many ways. And I've said this to you many, many times, Brad. You have to understand what happened in South Florida and the role it played in these characters' lives. True. And very much fleeing the Castro regime and winding up in this land of opportunity with a very flashy father who was
0: determined... It was just a confluence of, of factors here that, that led to what Alex the Cubist became in the end. And everybody down
6: in South Florida wasn't quite used to this. This no. isn't the Miami that you know of now. Everybody had to get adjusted to one another. This is Andrew DeWitt, who went to high school with Alex and Kevin in Miami.
0: They are living a great life on an island and had culture and education and everything. And the next day pretty much had nothing. They came into this community and they worked very, very hard, that generation of people. And, you know, Alex and other friends
3: I have are the offspring of that generation. Um, Really an amazing group of immigrants in this country's history,
6: that, that wave. Miami in 1960 was not the melting pot party town that it is today. When the De Cubis family arrived, the Miami they found was pretty sleepy. Sleepy in Miami doesn't really seem unnatural, but it's, uh, that's what it was. It was very southern. It was closer to Georgia or Alabama in nature than the international playground that it eventually became. Lewis Jr. told us that when he was growing up in Miami, he felt more Cuban rather than American. But Lewis Senior was focused on assimilation. He wanted his boys to grow up in established Miami. Eventually, he moved the family into the Pinecrest neighborhood, just south of Miami.
0: Yeah, totally, uh, totally different from uh, where they came from in Havana. Yeah, it's
6: it's a great area, lush tree-lined streets, lots of good families living there, good schools, nice homes. So Lewis Senior shows up in the U.S. with. $5 in his pocket for the whole family and then in a few years time he's living pretty well here's Scott Shiraus, a childhood friend of Alex
4: Alex's family stood out in the, in the 70s because there was very few Cubans living in the south part of Miami in the Pinecrest neighborhood his dad stood out for being very proper the coat and tie his mother stood out to me as just food was always ready she always had a smile on her face. So the fan the family was absolutely different in that sense, especially in, in my universe, in the Palmetto uh, Pinecrest universe.
0: Luis Sr. was determined, John. That's one thing that's very important to understand about this guy. That's the thing. I mean, you can imagine.
6: I mean, if you, give, if you give up basically you've you got a great job. You've got a great life, and
0: you got to get on a plane and start over? You give it all up, and you have three dependents, basically, and five bucks. And this guy was able to escape the lower-income areas that some immigrants ended up in and, and and worked his tail off. I mean, he got into the men's clothing industry in Miami. Uh, eventually, he owned his own business. He worked long days, long nights, uh that was the first wave of Cuban immigrants, and a lot of these people had been very successful back home. They were accustomed to success, and they were proud, and they wanted to show that they could achieve the same things here. Here's Luis Junior.
3: Being successful was very important for my father. Um, he worked very hard. He had, I remember, he was the, the last job he had was a store manager, and I remember it was a store called Austin Burke. So he managed the the store. The, it was a chain and he worked very hard. I remember he worked very long hours. Um, So he wanted to be very successful. The problem that happened was, after that he opened up a store, a men's store in Coral Gables. It's called Don Luis, a very fluent area. My dad always wanted both of us to be very successful. Um, That was important to him.
0: It was important to him, yeah. I mean, Luis Sr. knew that for a kid, one of the best ways to assimilate was through sports. You know what well, it's sports like. Sports
6: is sports is always
0: the uh, the great equalizer. Yeah, and, and the great connector. Yeah, melting pot. Yeah, yeah. You're part of a team. You achieve something together with the other kids. You socialize, social- right? Yeah. You socialize yeah. with these kids away from the game. You get to know their families. You go over to their houses for meals. You learn different customs. It's uh, it's a leveler is what it is. No, it really is. And it just
6: happened that uh, Alex was a great athlete, a natural athlete. One of those guys who just picks up things easily and excels. When he was in junior high school, Alex met a kid from the neighborhood, a guy by the name of Scott Schraus, who was on the wrestling team. Here's Scott.
4: Well, my memory of 14-year-old Alex, again, the first time I grabbed him, you know, it was just, he was kind of like a little bowling ball. I would characterize him as like a gorilla with a coordination of a ballerina. Alex could do any sport. It's really somewhat shocking. And so he he would go from field to field to practice matches, you know, to the wrestling room. But basically, he'd be an all-city football player, and then the the seasons actually would even overlap a tiny bit, and he would basically leave the football field put on his wrestling shoes, and go out there and beat anybody in wrestling. Um, and that was, people were in a little bit
6: of awe in that. A gorilla. Great description. Perfect, perfect description. Perfect. Everyone we interviewed from Alex's high school days had the same strong memories of him and his abilities. Here's Mike Petterson, Kevin's brother, and a teammate on the Palmetto High School wrestling team.
5: And I think a lot of people you talk to will say that Alex, incre- the first thing they will say, incredible athlete, it's born that way. That's the only way I can explain it. First thing to think about Alex physically was, was his strength. Uh, he looked he looked strong, and he was about 50% stronger than that, actually. And and his balance, gifted, absolutely gifted. And, and he just didn't need, he didn't seem to have, he didn't have to work that hard. You could tell that physically, he was just a step above. He was special. I don't even think Alex knew he was that good. And Alex was, he was a beast.
0: He seemed to do everything well, was a gifted natural athlete, achieved on the playing field, and because of that, seemed to get a lot of things easily in other parts of his life. Um, Alex played baseball in the spring, played football in the fall, and he wrestled in the winter. Wrestling became really special for Alex because while it's a team sport, it's a sport of individual performance.
6: It's unique like that. No, it's it certainly is. I mean, that the thing about wrestling is as I've said, and I will say again, one size doesn't fit all. You can be any size and fit all. That's the beauty of it. Listen, at ESPN we cover sports for a living. We have followed every sport I've done, every sport from track and field to basketball. Wrestling is that
0: rare sport where it doesn't matter what you look like. Yeah. I think for for Kevin Pedersen, who's a smaller guy, wrestling allowed, it it gave him an athletic venue. Alex was great at all sports. Alex had the size. Alex didn't need wrestling. But what wrestling gave Alex was this interesting combination of, of a team sport and an individual sport. And it allowed his special abilities to stand out. Here's Dom Gorey, a high school
7: teammate. My earliest memories of Alex were when he was a sophomore and this short, squat, powerful kid was able to do things physically that that were beyond um, sort of the comprehension of most guys in the room. He could take guys that were far bigger than him and he could throw them around like they were grade school kids. He was one of those guys that could bring to competition a level of performance, it's unpredictable. Um, you, you can't find that in all athletes. When you would watch Alex wrestle, there was this, this terror-inducing kind of strength that he brought out that, that was not there 10 seconds prior. Matches didn't often go very long with, with him. He was extremely successful because I think what he had inside his being was, was a need to win and to be successful.
6: Alex had that need to be successful Alex's father had it too But Alex's brother Louis Jr. Who was only 11 months older And also wrestled
0: on that Palmetto team He didn't have that drive And John, Alex's father Could see that That difference Anybody could Between the two brothers And I think this was the special Connection Between the two Between Louis Sr. and Alex I think there was something that the the two of them shared that was different from what his brother and his father shared. Here's childhood friend and wrestling teammate Scott Shiraz.
4: Alex and his father Lewis were super close. I think he had his dad on a pedestal, and his dad adored both the kids. But you know, it's probably safe to say that Alex might, you know, was his favorite. And, um, yeah, they adored each other.
6: Let's underline this contrast because it sets up so much of what happens in this story. Remember,
0: appearances don't always reflect reality, Brett. No, no, they don't. And uh, if you look at Kevin Petterson, his father was very reserved. He was battling alcoholism and strict, post-traumatic stress. Strict military man who always wore a uniform. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And on the other hand, Alex's dad was, was demonstrative, emotional. Beautifully dressed. <laughs> beautifully dressed. Hair cut every day. Every day. Who goes to the barbershop every day? He went to the barbershop every day. This guy was full of love and he showed it. Especially when it came to Palmetto's wrestling meets. This guy always made a big entrance. Well, you knew he was there. You knew when he was there. Yeah, the whole the whole gym would sort of look over and, and see him and talk about him, and, and it was almost like the and the, hear him and hear him, and it was almost like the white bread world of, of South Florida wasn't quite ready to meet Alex's father.
5: He would come in, all decked out, suit and tie, a little bit loud. You knew when he showed up, Alex. I'm, you know, that's my boy. I'm here. And everybody was like. Mr. DeCubis just showed up. It's almost like clockwork. There's Mr. DeCubis. And he'd be cheering on his son. It was a you know, a strong Cuban accent. It was pretty loud. It was grand entrance almost. Distinguished. The reputation was there that he was supposedly a highly successful business I mean, he was the best dressed guy in a thousand people in a gym. There's no doubt.
6: Probably best dressed any day of the week of those thousand people in the gym.
0: Anybody ever describe you in that way, John?
6: Stunningly well-dressed. <laughs> Yeah, probably not. Uh, (laughs) In those (laughs) days, though, the meets would progress from the lightest weights to the heaviest weights. Alex usually wrestled at 190 and above. That's 190 pounds. So the tension would build in the gym as the matches progressed. And remember, these are matches that are filled to the brim with fans. So you've got a lot of fans. The matches are progressing and you've got a sold out crowd. By the time Alex stepped onto the mat, this was really his time to shine. And Louis Sr. would be at a fever pitch. Screaming in Spanish, here's Scott Cherouse describing that scene.
4: Alex's father used to call Alex the Tiger or El Tigre. His dad would run out on the mat afterwards and just kiss him on the face and didn't bother Alex a bit. Some kids wouldn't want their family running out on the mat and kissing them in front of everybody, but he he adored his father. They adored each other.
6: El Tigre, El Tigre, the tiger. Listen to fellow Palmetto Panther Andrew Duet, who wrestled with Alex in high school and
0: in college. It's funny to this day. A lot of people have been wrestling a long time. Tell that they remember his dad, Kevin Peterson, the other half of our story, who was Alex's wrestling teammate. He recognized the contrast between their two fathers even then. Here's Kevin.
5: I mean, some people came to watch just to see what Alex's father would do when Alex was wrestling. When Alex got done; he was jumping in the air, hugging Alex, and then and all over him. You know, the exact opposite of what you'd see on the Feddersen side of the equation, right?
6: Just as Alex's father and Kevin's father were very different, so were Alex and Kevin. Kevin, the quiet, reserved kid who's dealing with a lot at home. Alex assumed his father's outgoing qualities. Louis Sr was a salesman. Alex was in the same mold. He kind of had to be.
0: Yeah. I mean it's it's also easier when you're achieving a lot in the on the playing field. You know, you're you're known in high school, a lot of kids look up to you, the girls look up, you know. You're like, a
6: star, yeah. your
0: dad's well dressed, he's yeah. different than most of the other people. Yeah, you got everything going for you. So think about this, John. It's crazy to consider, considering what we know about Miami today, but in that time, uh, in his Miami orbit, in Pinecrest, where there are a lot of established families, Alex, along with his brother, I mean, these were the only Latino kids that people knew. It's hard for people to imagine a place, that place, like that. Yeah, I mean, that's how much Miami has changed in the decades since, Um, but... Alex, in that time, you know, he was so he was such a great athlete that success in sports allowed him to gain acceptance, and he was this Cuban kid who was now assimilating largely because of what he achieved in sports, and because of that, that allowed him to have his personality shine. His personality really took over. And he had the ability to charm anyone he ran into because that's uh, Alex's personality plus. Yeah, that's what everyone remembers about Alex even today. Yeah, I mean, everybody
6: today to a man says, Alex, everybody loved Alex. Everybody loved Alex. So you've got this great athlete, you've got a very um, flashy father. Yeah, good way of putting it. And you've got a
0: charming personality. Yeah. Here's Kevin's brother, Mike Pedersen.
5: It is, it is hard to describe why people were drawn to Alex. It's just some people have that persona. I mean, it's just a bright personality. He smiled a lot, you know, a lot of hugs. Just, you know, loud. You knew he was in the room. Everybody knows those folks that they walk in their room, whether it's a sporting event or a party or, or a business meeting, and they just have that different persona about them. It's just a, there's a light bulb falling around. And, it, you know, they just like, man, just light up the room. It's hard to describe that. Alex looked tough. I mean, but but he looked tough with a smile all the time. I mean, he was just, he was a happy-go-lucky. Life's great.
6: Life was great for Alex. Why wouldn't life be great for Alex? He was great at everything. Yeah. Came easy to him. And even his coach would agree with that. Here's his coach, Barry Zimbler.
1: He was a good kid. He was a good guy. He was a uh... You know, other athletes were drawn to him because he was a role model. A role model.
0: A role model.
6: Alex DeCubis, a role model. Why wouldn't he be a role model, Brett? Well, John. Great athlete. Yeah. yeah. Charming
0: personality. Right. Teachers liked him. Fantastic father. But it's just pretty hard to believe when you think about what happened later in Alex's life. But I guess that's what he was in high school. He, he was one of those kids who had everything come together. And on top of all that, he, he had a happy home life. But, you know, here's the thing about him. He wasn't a
6: choir boy. No, no. He, he had this wild streak starting in junior high school where he would get in the fights and he wouldn't lose them.
0: There's this story uh, about Alex DeCubis when he was in junior high. So he's playing in a basketball game. Because, yeah, he played everything. He was great at everything, or he was very good at least at everything. So he's in in a basketball game. Basketball, football, wrestling. Whatever it was. And in this game, somebody throws a hard foul on one of his guys. And suddenly, you know, the bench is clear. Things get out of hand. You know, we've seen it many times before. But what happens here is Alex finds himself. He's taken on the entire opposing team. And he's punching this guy, punching that guy. One of the kids on the other team has a busted leg. He's on crutches. Somehow Alex ends up with one of this kid's crutches, and he's using it as a weapon, and he's he's mowing down the entire opposing team. You know, I've heard that story, and I still find it a little
6: bit potentially hard to believe. But well,
0: not when you put it together with all these other stories we've heard. But
6: then, but then again, you hear these stories, and then you hear this other story. Like the time when Alex and a friend got their hands on a police smoke bomb, and they threw it into the junior high school. Good idea. Police officers, fire trucks, distend on the school. There's a police helicopter circling overhead. The whole town absolutely loses its mind.
0: Could you imagine doing something like that today? A smoke bomb in a junior high school? This was the 70s, though. But even in the 70s, they had a police helicopter overhead, so... Alex developed this reputation. You can see why now as a bit of a wild card. He was a kid who who would take on any dare. He'd stand up to any challenge. Nothing was too big for him to challenge. No. But he could take on the world. But what was really going on here? Because Alex seemed to have this perfect high school world. But again, this was only an appearance. There was something else lurking there beneath the surface. So much of Alex's success at the time, we now know, depended on the structure that sports gave him, that wrestling gave him. Structure, discipline, expectations. Here's Dom Goreth.
7: His natural person was to be this party guy, was to go out and goof off and, and have fun without a whole lot of maybe downrange thoughts. Uh, so without wrestling... It, Alex would have been a way different guy in high school. I think for Alex, without wrestling, that kept him on a path of um, how he needed to live his life in some respects, how he needed to stay focused, how he, what he needed to do to stay involved with school. All of these things keep you on a path that doesn't allow for big, bad choices. And Dom's right. That structure,
6: that path, that wrestling kept him on, Alex was such a social person, a totally dominant personality. Because of this, he had so many options in life, so many places to go, people to spend it with, the total opposite of Kevin Pedersen. Night and day. But when uh, Alex was on the mat, everything else fell away. He was finally able to focus on one thing. Here's Barry Zimbler, Alex's high school coach. He
1: didn't back down. He, he was an aggressor. When the referee said, ready, wrestle, boom, here he would come. And uh, it was all out. He was so determined that he wanted to win for himself, his team, for his teammates, for me, uh, and you could tell. He was tough. Just the determination that he had to be great, and he was.
0: And things had really come full circle for the DeCubas family. Fidel Castro had forced Luis de Cubas to relinquish this successful life that he had in Cuba. So Luis shows up in Miami with five bucks in his pocket. A fashion journalist. A fashion journalist. And a dozen years later, he has a successful business. His a successful clothing store. A successful clothing store, in so
6: Coral Gables. He basically replaced himself. Yeah,
0: he, yeah, he, he replicated
6: himself. Yeah, he replicated He built himself back up, which yeah. is the classic- American tale. So you're talking about if Ellis Island was the first generation to America, the Freedom Tower then becomes the Ellis Island for the first wave of Cuban refugees. And here's a perfect example of exactly what we're talking about, rebuilding and starting your life from scratch. Success
0: is what we're talking about here. And Luis Sr. has this younger son, his L.T. Gray— is Tiger, who by this point has assimilated into American life and is becoming a star in sports. Here's Scott Chirouse talking about Alex's outlook.
4: Wrestling had become the dominant part of his life and where he really thought he could have real, real success.
6: From the outside, Alex looked like he had absolutely everything going his way.
0: It's, it's hard to imagine a kid in high school who had it better than Alex. He could win at everything. Yeah, and he uh, he was popular. He had a great family. Great personality. Everybody liked him. Anything he wanted to do, he could accomplish yeah. and do it. He was a tough guy. People, you know, other other kids were afraid of him.
6: To be Alex DeCubis in high school was to be a rock star.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's it's interesting when you think about the contrast with Kevin because even though Kevin achieved a lot in school, you know, he didn't have that same profile.
6: But they shared something, and that's where they found their commonality. They were both driven and determined to be successful.
0: Yeah, they had that determination, um, and I think that was the basis of their bond through sports, even though they were so different in a lot of ways. But they both shared something at home.
6: But for Alex, he didn't know the secrets that would soon change the course of his life.
2: Thank you for listening to the SC-featured
6: podcast, Pin
2: Kings. You can follow Pin Kings on Twitter at ESPN Pin Kings. That's at ESPN Pin Kings. A preview of the next episode follows this message. Next on Pin Kings, Episode 5 Contraband. Colombia was producing
4: the world's largest amount of cocaine. The Colombians had changed the gardening down there to uh, start growing the cocoa tree bushes and.
3: Instead of the weed. You basically had the Medellin cartel, which was um, headed by Pablo Escobar. You had the Cali cartel. Julio Nasser David was one of the kings. And even if they did get caught, essentially nobody would go to jail.
2: Don't miss an episode. You can listen and subscribe to the Pin Kings podcast in the ESPN app. Or download and listen on Apple Podcasts.